From WXXI and the Little Theater, this is Movies in a Microphone. I'm your host, Scott Pukas, and we're going live for this episode. The following Don't Think Twice conversation was recorded at the Little Theater Wednesday, August 31st. Please enjoy. All right, everyone. Thanks for uh, sticking around. This is Movies in a Microphone. I'm Scott Pukas. I'm the host. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to our panel here, and then we can get started. Uh, to my right here, we have uh, Chelsea Flint. She's a writer for Rochester Live. Uh, also, Mike Birbiglia, super fan. I'm sure we have many in the audience. And a web manager at News 8. Thanks for joining us here. Thank you for having me. Next, <laughs> Hey, I didn't get an applause here. <laughs> uh, next, we have uh, Megan Mack who is uh, a member of the sketch comedy group Thank You Kiss and the producer of WXXI's Connections. Uh, she also teaches improv classes at the Rochester Brainery, so you guys should check that out uh, if you get a chance. September 29th. I thought they weren't going to clap for a second there. <laughs> that was almost really bad. Dramatic pause. <laughs> okay, and finally I'm joined by John Forrest Thompson, who's an improviser and also a member of the sketch, sketch comedy group Thank You Kiss. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. So the first question I think is the obvious one we have to start with. Who wins Jenga? <laughs> I think it's everybody wins. Or everybody loses or everybody wins. If you're positive, I think everybody wins Jenga. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it tells more about me than about anything else. Your outlook on life. Right, right. Everybody loses. Actually, you're an every, he's an everybody wins kind of guy. That's why I like John. Yeah. See, my perspective is I hate Jenga. Yeah, but it, it's so stressful. Giant Jenga? Is, oh, yeah, the giant one's fine. Because that's even better because there's actually the threat of bodily harm if you lose. So, yeah. it is I mean, I'm not a violent person. Yeah. but It is an anxiety-inducing, right? I, rather than zen, I would say. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the part I don't like. It just is so stressful. Yeah. So anyway, this movie, kind of, it was similar to Sleepwalk with me where it, was, it had very funny parts, but it really touched on a variety of different emotions, different feelings. Um, is this what you expected from this, or were you expecting more of a straight-up comedy going into this movie? Well, I think uh, knowing Mike's, you know, the filmmaker's background, and uh, I actually came out of, uh, they mentioned Improv Olympic was a theater in Chicago, and that's where I trained and performed for 10 years. I was also a house manager there. So I knew that if he was gonna take this on, that he would have to, the improv community is very supportive, but you, he had to get it right if he was gonna use that world. And uh, I, I think uh, I had high expectations, but it was great. I mean, it really captured the world. And then uh, if you're not an improviser, it was still a fantastic movie. I, I, it, it, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I would say speaking, you know, as someone who's not familiar with improv comedy world, I still think that it had enough universal themes that, um, you know, obviously that's what Mike Birbiglia does with his comedy is he makes you feel things. And so I kind of expected it going in to have that emotional connection. Um, the first thing I ever saw by him was uh, my uh, girlfriend's boyfriend, which is on Netflix. I highly recommend it. Um, it's the only piece of stand-up comedy I've ever watched that made me sob at the end of it, which is not something you expect from stand-up comedy, but you know, by the end of it, it was just the way that he told what was an extremely funny story and still made you have an emotional connection to it just amazed me. And so I'm, I'm glad that he managed to have the same effect with this film. Good. I was going to say, I liked it so much, I actually didn't want to see it again tonight. I saw it on Monday, and then I, it was so true and so real. If you've been in an improv group or on an improv team or gone through levels, John was at I.O., I was at Second City, it, all of that is so real, and it made me so sad. 
to kind of think back and think that I was just telling my my teammate in the audience all of those times that we had back when we had a theater here those are over those will never exist again but John said you know you there are new beginnings new teams form and new experiences happen and this film is just so true to life and I think as you said it's everyone can relate in one way or another and kind of what you were speaking to, to me this seems almost like a love letter to improv. Um, and I was trying to think, are, are there any other like movies or shows or books or anything of the sort that are about improv? Or is this kind of maybe one of the ultimate in that, um, in that category at this point? Yeah, there's a ton of, there's a ton of books uh, about the improv world that you can get. And in terms of movies, I would say the only one that I would really recommend, that, and it's not, a, it's not fiction, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, there's, there's, it's out there, where they actually do um, their form. And I think they did it with six or eight cameras, and it was edited very well. Um, not in terms of, there was just so much they could capture every facial outlook that you would capture as a real audience member in an improv show. That is really the only film that I've seen capture improv well, um, besides this one. But it, this nailed it. Uh, we were on Connections the other day, and, and Liz Allen, uh, when I was going through I.O., she was my level two coach, uh, or level two teacher. And uh, she was the improv coach for the team, the commune, uh, behind the scenes in the movie as well. Uh, and she indicated that this was all written, uh, even the Im improvised scenes were written, um, which really says a lot about Mike's skill in terms of improv and writing, because it really did not seem written. Now, as people that are familiar with improv, were you, were you surprised by that? Was, to me, when I heard that in Connections, too, and that was one of my questions, I, I, I was like, oh, I, I thought they were, the actors were improv. Um, I didn't realize it was all written, and I think that's kind of what you were saying. But were you were you surprised when you found that out? I was, you know, because because I thought if they're working with Liz, and you know, I thought maybe they they do actual shows and then take what they could, but uh, but that wasn't the case. You you could tell that the way that they approached the lines, they were they had worked together a lot as an improv team for real, uh, and just the way they um, they the delivery and the timing. Um, that was definitely something that they worked out. It was odd to see, uh, uh, you know, Jillian Jacobs' character when she was first coaching, because that's what Liz does. So she was imitating Liz, so it was weird to see those things. And, um, you know, Liz Allen, that I got your back behind stage is something that I've carried with me, uh, and I got that from Liz. And when they did it, it just, little nuances really kind of freaked me out because, uh, I thought those were kind of private, you know, but they, they weren't. They made it on here. So it was, it was really special to see some of those things. So I have to say there was one thing about that first scene that they were improvising that really drove me crazy. And this comes from different schools of improv, so maybe it doesn't drive you crazy. But, and I know there are a lot of improvisers in the audience, what were they doing? Anyone? Any? Thank you. They were asking so many questions. <laughs> and that's a, one of the rules in improv in, in certain schools is don't ask questions because you're putting the pressure on your teammate to come up with an answer versus giving them an offer or a gift that helps drive the scene forward. So I don't know if that bothered any of you, but that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> I did not notice it. It did not bother me. Actually, I'm curious now. Uh, can we see a show of hands of how many people in here are improvisers or in the improv world? Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. I'm just kind of curious. And another thing, I, you know, when you mentioned Jillian Jacobs, I really liked all her shirts. She had, like, great shirts every time. Right. Is that from Liz, too, or is that something? No, no, that's not from Liz. That, I think it's a, very, it's a very popular thing in the improv community, though. You've, got, <laughs> you've kind of got your stereotypes in terms of how they dress and, and, and 
things like that too. I noticed a lot of bicycle shirts. Shirts with bicycles? Do you know? Yeah. Them? Yeah. Yep. I think that might just be a hipster thing. Speaking as a professional hipster <laughs> myself. True. Yeah. Threadless. Fair enough. Is a company that's based in Chicago. So th that was a real big thing in the improv community. The threadless shirts because they're clever and funny and you know. <laughs> uh, actually, though, I, some some of some improv you know improv teachers will tell you not to wear anything funny uh, to be kind of bland Neutral. so it doesn't inform your character in whatever scene that you're in so now I, I think this is kind of going to elaborate on what you guys were already talking about but how accurate were some of these like the rules they give at the beginning and just the whole the whole way they did the improv that was pretty true to what you guys do yeah yeah absolutely say yes and don't think don't ask questions um, support your team always make your teammate look better because that in essence makes you look better you're part of a group and if you showboat as you saw with what happened with Jack's character in the movie it it causes some different group dynamics that don't serve the team well yeah for sure anything to add or uh, no I did improv <laughs> once in high school and I must have been really bad because I blocked it out of my memory so I can't tell you anything about the rules of improv <laughs> I, one of the things I was curious to was the, the wooden bicycle that just made me laugh. Right. I, are those real things? Is that the hipster I, thing too? I think that you know that was a Lauren Michaels uh, a shot at Lauren Michaels, obviously in his eccentricities. Um, you know I, the where he showed up naked. That that's a true story that's in the uh, in the improv world about showing up naked to a show uh, and not wearing clothes. That you know that was a real thing. Uh, the tuxedos and uh, you know those are. Are, are real things that happen. I don't know if the bike specifically was. I like how they name you know Bjork, uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I have heard uh, stories about Lauren Michaels uh, like that. So now one of the biggest uh, takeaways I had from this too was just the cast. It was such a, a stellar cast, and you've you've seen them at different like TV shows, uh, Garfunkel Notes, uh, Love, Community, different stuff like that. Um, can you guys speak toward that? I mean, do you think this would have worked if it if it just did not have the right cast for it? I think it almost suffered from having people that were too recognizable. Um, and when I say suffered, I mean it could have suffered. That's what I should have said initially. I feel like you see somebody like, it was. Uh, I always mix up Key and Peele. That was Keegan, Michael Key, correct? I'm, I'm not having a complete brain fart right now. Um, so I feel like seeing people like that who are so recognizable for the other stuff that they did, sometimes it can be jarring and you can't really take yourself out of their other character uh, enough to, to put yourself in this movie. But I think uh, Mike Birbiglia did a really good job or just the entire cast did a really good job of, of not playing to their previous characters or even just stepping outside of that and feeling like real humans on stage and not, oh, hey, it's Keith, the guy from Key and Peele. It's the chick from Community. You really felt like they were their own characters. I, I think at some point the, it's a movie business and you got to have some names to sell the movie. Um, uh, definitely the improv world. I mean, Tammy Sayer was, when, is an improv legend. Uh, she's so good and she's as pure improv as it gets and I think was a really strong you know, part of that. But I think you gotta, you got to sell your movie. I, I don't know if this is completely true, but when Tina Fey got her deal initially, uh, Rachel Dratch you know, it was, a, it was a writing partner of hers, and uh, you'll see her in, in the early parts of 30 Rock, and and I've heard rumors that that was a struggle to have her more involved in terms of, uh, you know, who you bring with you and, and that kind of thing. Her husband writes the theme music and, and everything else, so I think you have some kind of say, but at the end of the day, I think you need some recognizable faces to sell it, uh, at least to the producers. Uh, and for uh, Keegan-Michael Key, I kind of thought it did work having a bigger star since he goes on to be 
on uh, weekend or the Saturday Night Live S show, which I like how they worked around. That was like the exact same font, almost the exact same. <laughs> yeah. But for that case, I thought it worked. Um, yeah. And I noticed too. I mean. I think you guys can speak toward this, the, the ones of you guys in improv, but it, it seemed like they were almost like a family in the commune. The commune. They were so close. I mean, is that, is that the experience that usually builds something similar where you're like best friends, you're just, you know everyone? And I mean, they kept saying the group think. I mean, is that part of uh, getting toward that group think? Yeah, that, for a group like that, especially, that's everything. I mean, um, you are living in apartments like that and traveling with one another and you know everything like you saw everything is an ongoing bit and a callback you know you can go without you know 10 years without seeing somebody and they'll make fun of you for something that you know you were you're making fun of 10 years before so and I think that's a, essential to go through that it's it's like an outward bound with a bar you know <laughs> I said that on connection you know that's what it's like it's like summer camp with alcohol um, and obviously a whole lot of pot, you know, uh, which gave the movie its R rating because I, I don't think anything else would would really make it R. But and a little profanity, that little profanity, it. yeah. And uh, there was uh, some incest jokes uh, too. I think uh, Mike Birbiglia actually talked about that on Twitter quite a bit because yeah, I think yeah. on the actual poster under the the R rated warning it said light drug use. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was kind of pointing out a lot of the uh, ludicrousness of other movies that got PG-13 ratings. And he's like, I show, like, you don't even see, like, actual pot. You just see them yeah. smoking. And she's like, and that gets an R rating. Yeah. yeah. Could have used more killing. That would have got a <laughs> yes, PG-13. Yes, that would be PG-13. A little more murder. More stabbing. More yeah. bombing. <laughs> yeah, but these groups, uh, they really do um, live with each other like that and, and interact. And it, you become a family. And I think that's a testament, too. They could... You saw them lash out at each other. I mean, they really hit the most raw nerve in each person, and it was forgivable because they were so close. Now, uh, we do want to get some audience involvement, so does anyone out there have any questions? I'll have you yell it out. I'm going to have to repeat it in the mic since we're recording it, and you probably we won't be able to hear it on the recording, but does anyone have any questions? If not, I do have more. So this is the part the audience member is asking a question. Uh, here's the deal. They don't have a mic, so you can't hear it. But don't worry, we'll repeat the question before answering it. Back to you, live crew. You were asking that uh, because now that the improv subculture is more exposed, do I feel like kind of lost kind of the inside kind of thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I was going to say my uh, a good friend of mine has a shirt that says, I listen to bands that don't even exist yet, right? And uh, I remember I in the 80s. I think that's a Threadless shirt. Huh? I think that's a Threadless and shirt. And scene. Yeah, no. But, but it is because, you know, I remember like in the 80s, like being really into REM, right? And then almost <laughs> getting beat up and teased because I was into REM early. And then they became really popular, right? And then you're like, then you were mad at REM because they became popular right? and they weren't yours anymore. Uh, but... Uh, I, I, I really don't. I actually feel like um, now when I tell people what I do and so I'm so passionate about it, they can watch this because up until this movie, they say, oh, improv, whose line is it anyway? And whose line is great and it's short form improv and it's entertaining, but it's not this, right? So, uh, so now I kind of feel like, oh, I tell my dad to watch this and he'll get it, right? So... <laughs> And we have one in the back here. Try to keep it kind of brief so we can summarize it too and easily. <laughs> Did I just ruin it for you? I'm sorry. So your question was, do you think that watching the movie would it have changed if they included more about improv as a hobby versus a profession? Or the end goal being 
to be famous. And I think that it Before was... Before you the, answer, can I say that I'm, I'm going to take Gateway to Nowhere as a, my next improv team name? <laughs> that was good. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I think a little bit of what you're talking about was included in the, the film, though, with the whole being in the well. And I think to some people, the well is that underground type improv. I'm never going to be famous. Excuse me, I'm never going to be famous. I'm never going to be on SNL or some show like that. And that's okay. And some people just want to do it for fun. I think if, if that were more included in the film, it would have changed it in a way that wouldn't have made the point that it made in the sense of how group dynamics change when one friend gets famous. But it, it's a good point. And I think the majority of people in this room, myself included, I know I'm never going to be famous, but I love improv as something fun to do, and I love teaching. And that doesn't really change how I look at it. Does that answer your question? Not really. Anybody else want to try? Um, I was, I'm actually going to say I flat out disagree. I think that that's exactly what Jillian Jacobs' character was designed to address. Um, I, you know, I kind of identified with her, uh, some might call it self-sabotage when she doesn't go to her weekend live audition, but it wasn't, to her it wasn't self-sabotage. It was knowing that that wasn't what she wanted in her life. She wanted to stay in the commune, in this small group, and she made it out to be self-sabotage because she had to justify it to her boyfriend who did want the fame, he did want to be on Weekend Live, and, and uh, to me it was just her kind of way of making it okay to have it just as a hobby because she thought he would never be able to understand that, and ultimately I think that was the reason they broke up is because he wanted that stardom and she was fine writing that well. She liked that lily pad, she wanted to stay there, and I think that was his way of addressing people who are okay with where they are, and you know, not everyone wants to reach that next level. Sometimes you're just happy where you are. The, the book that she's reading quite a bit in the movie is called Something Wonderful Right Away by Jeffrey Sweet. He was on The Connection Show. If you get a chance, he has a friend show. He, he has in-laws that are based out of Rochester. So we're, uh, he lives in New York City. So we really have a special connection and we're are lucky to have him up here. So check out his show because he will give you a, a history. He hung out with all the Second City people in the mid-70s and literally wrote the history of, of, of improv and knows it inside and out. And he mentioned on the show that when it first started, no one had any expectation of ever doing this until Saturday Night Live came along. It was something that they would do um, and then go on to, like I think he said, professors. Um, now, some of the early famous people, Nichols and May, went on to do a, a lot. Um, but I think, too, in the community, what you're seeing here, I keep pointing to this, which is awesome for radio. <laughs> Uh, but um, I, I think what you see in the film too, and I think what I relate to, you know, Mike's character is, uh, you know, I, it didn't take me long to realize that I was not going to be on Saturday Night Live. Uh, it didn't make me love improv or, or want to keep pursuing it any less. I just, like Megan said, I love the teaching aspect of it and, and paying it forward and just that rush of performing with people, you know, locally. Because it's all about the clubhouse, right? It's not about that the product. You go to see Second City, that's very touristy, but that's the tip of the iceberg. It's the, it's the Second City, et cetera, and the student shows, and all these people that are trying to make it and moving to Chicago and dropping out of college to do this, that that's, if you want to see some cool stuff, that's what you go see. Second, the main stage show is phenomenal, but if you really want to see some interesting stuff, go check out the lower level shows that are happening in those, in those theaters. And that, that was a very brief question. That was, we do appreciate that. So otherwise, I think it'll sound like Charlie Brown in the audio, or you won't be able to hear it at all. So I think there was one behind you, too. So the question was, she's asking about relationships. It seems like you can't have them outside the commune, which was the name of it. Um, and she's asking, is that true? 
Hmm. Wow, that's that's an interesting question. I, I'll say that the majority of improv groups and relationships I've have have been extremely dysfunctional. No offense, John. No, no. And that's why half those people do improv. <laughs> yeah, they're all a little kind of. <laughs> but you you spend so much time together, and and that improv. Caitlin Drago, who was on Connections yesterday, she made a really powerful statement. She said, "When improv gets in your your soul, you can't get rid of it." And I think. Bill's character, the Bill character in the film, he said, without improv, I'm a guy selling hummus and chips at a supermarket. This is, this is me. This is what I do. I'm a superhero when I'm on stage. So it is a thing in itself. So I, I, I see what you're saying, and I never really thought about it that way. So thank you. Well, yeah. It, uh, and she's saying it makes it kind of sad. It, it is. It's, I think it's bittersweet. But at the on the same account, uh, like I've had a couple people from Rochester that, uh, you know, they wanted to move to Chicago to pursue this. And a few years ago, there was a guy that did it, and he's like, well, I'm moving to Skokie. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm like, Skokie is, an, it's going to take you an hour to get down to any theater. And you really do have to be in it. Uh, when you're taking classes at, say, you know, Improv Olympic I.O. Chicago is what it's called now, it's an 18-month course. You know, there's six levels. And apart from that, you better be seeing two or three shows a week because you want to have FaceTime at the theater. But watching those shows and these people that are so good is also part of the education. So I think you have to decide what you want to get out of it, how much time you spend there. But you really, you really do have to be into it and be immersed in that world if, if you want to make it. The nice thing about that world, too, is they always welcome you, you back. Most of the people that are doing Second City Main Stage or doing SNL, uh, they'll go back and they'll do, when they're not filming, they'll do their, their improv teams in LA, Chicago, New York. And so. Yeah, related to that, I did my training in Toronto, so I was commuting back and forth as much as three times a week, but not living there and not seeing the shows with my team and not hanging out and having that whole subculture as part of my experience was a huge disadvantage and I missed out a little bit on the group mind because I wasn't part of that commune, quote unquote. So it's important. You want to have the relationships and the experience in addition to the classes because that makes the team what it is. I'm going to jump back in with another question here. I'm actually going to start this question with a little bit of a brag, but has anyone here uh, heard of Odyssey of the Mind? Okay. It's that oh. high school thing, right? Yeah, we have a couple of hands. That's good. Well, the reason I bring that up is because it, it reminds me a lot of, of training for this. There's a spontaneous thing where you, um, you have to use th quick thinking and creativity. Like a very basic example would be um, the judge would ask you, uh, name things that are blue. And if you say something like the sky or these seats or something like real uncreative, it's like one point. But if you say something more creative... Um, I, I don't have one example off the top of my head. I was going to say something with Smurfs, but you, you would get nice. you would get like more points. And my brag was actually I'm a world champion out of see the mind. That, that was my brag. Very nice. <laughs> nice. I had to slip that in there. Um, but my question is, it really uh, seems like it prepare you for something like improv. Are there other things in everyday life or maybe in school that would help like prepare you for doing improv or help sharpen those skills? I mean, I feel that these are skills you can use in everyday life, like quick thinking and 
just having a good speaking voice and stuff like that. I, uh, like I said, I don't really do improv, so I can't really speak to this, but I got bullied a lot, and it made me really quick on my feet, so I would say that, you know, having kids just, like, pick on every little aspect of you makes you really good at picking on every little aspect of everything else. I'm going to interrupt. I hope your your bullies listen to this now. And I they, hope so. And they feel so horrible. About I'm a guest on a podcast at a movie theater. What now? <laughs> <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> But not actually. These look expensive. Yeah, please don't drop it. That's how they have the dents in them. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I've noticed that I find myself doing, I tell my students this too, is that when you practice your object work or your miming, because in improv you don't use props, unless your whose line is it anyway in short form. In long form, which is what you just saw, you don't use props, you mime everything. So if you were brushing your teeth, you're holding a toothbrush as if you would, right, in everyday life. So this, I'm going to have John do a little experiment. This is not a gun. That's, that's John pointing his fingers. This is not a phone. That's John making a weird, wide... Your tweets thing. to Evan Dawson make so much more sense now. Th- there you go. So what I find myself doing in everyday life is really paying attention to how I hold things and how I interact with things because the more realistic your object work or your miming is on stage, the more the audience believes in the scene. So... If you're pursuing improv, really spend some time. It's annoying. It's a terrible thing when you're washing your hair and you're like, how am I holding this shampoo bottle? It really slows you down, but it serves improv well. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, I always might go to because I'm such a nerd about it, but uh, improv makes you better at life. It makes you a better person. It makes you more empathetic. It makes you a better listener. Uh, if, if you can pick up any of these skills in improv, it, it really does make you a better person. It, it, makes you thoughtful. It uh, makes you a better listener. Yeah, Odyssey of the Mind. It makes you go to the second choice, right? Rather than blue, you go blue, Smurfs, then communists, right? I, I saw <laughs> you laughed when the, it was the pen scene. The, the two students were doing the scene, and the suggestion was pen. She said, hey, I have a pen, and John was laughing. Because sometimes you don't want to go to the, I have a pen. You think, pen makes me think of being in high school, which makes me think of my prom. And it, there's a whole theory behind that, but... It's interesting how it makes you think past the first thing that comes to your head sometimes. I think this is a good time to once again mention that Megan does teach classes at the Brainery September 29th, 29th. 7-9. A couple spots left maybe? Less than 10. Less than so 10. you can act now. I, I don't know. I want to do improv now. I'm sure maybe some of you guys do. I'll be oh, yeah. racing you for the spot. Um, this is the last chance for anyone in the audience that has questions. I'll have a last call. Anyone else have something? Oh, we got a couple. Okay. Uh, we'll start with the, the one in the back there first. Mike Berbiglia's ability to use comedy to reach deeper feelings is the question. Well, as a super fan, I'll handle this one. Um, <laughs> That's why we brought her on. Yeah, like I said before, I mentioned um, my girlfriend's boyfriend. I think if you really want to see um, how he can use comedy uh, to reach a deeper empathetic level, just drop everything and go home and watch that. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from this film um, that he kind of used the the medium of an improv troupe to convey is the feeling of leaving something that you can't go back to. Um, It's actually really funny. I was on my way here, and I saw an old coworker of mine, and I honked a horn at him, and he waved, and um, it was just a fleeting moment. But uh, I can never go back to that feeling. You know, I was when I I was actually at the Apple Store at Eastview, uh, where I worked, and we were a really close knit group. and it's, you know, it's something that I think about a lot. They actually had a, a case, um, not to bring it down a little bit, but a couple of weeks ago, a member of the store committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this really weird emotional feeling. Sorry, I 
didn't think that I would get like this, but um, I was reflecting on all these really happy times and I was reconnecting with my coworkers and, and it was just such this mixed bag of emotions of thinking of um, this place where I could never go back to, but I wanted to go back. I wanted to be able to go back in and see all my coworkers like they used to be and give everyone a hug and tell them it was gonna be okay. And you can't do that. You, there's no way to go back in time. And I think um, the last scene where Jack was leaving uh, the funeral and they're all going to look at the theater and he's like, hey, maybe I'll come with you guys. And they tell him basically no. Um, and it's a hard thing to have to do, but it's, he had to face that fact that he's made his choice and um, you've moved on and you can't go back. And uh, you know, it's a fantastic comedic moment, but then you get this awful feeling in the pit of your stomach of, well, I've, I've moved on now and sorry to bring everything down. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what Mike Birbiglia excels at is taking this um, medium of something that's really happy and identifiable and then just kind of like twisting the knife and giving you that emotional gut wrench. Um, so if you want to laugh and cry, definitely go home and watch any of his other stuff. Um, but, but to me, that's, that's the biggest thing is he uses something that's comfortable to give you that emotional push. And I think specific to improv, uh, the reason that it's funny is because you're seeing people react on stage. So, you know, they always said your characters are a very thin veil of yourself. And um, so you're really, the audience, especially in improv, because it's so honest and so quick, you're, you're watching your own mortality in front of you. And I think that's why it connects. Uh, long form improvisation doesn't presuppose comedy. That, that scene where they broke up at the well you know, it was really touching. I don't think anybody in the audience was laughing, you know. Um, but then they probably came back after that with a big laugh, right? So it kind of makes it okay. It's like, oh, they're breaking up, and I broke up with somebody. That makes me feel bad, and oh, ha, ha, now it's funny, you know. So uh, improv does a very good job of, you know, of subjects like that. I mean, we were laughing when, when they were, you know, on the side of the river, you know, kissing and making out, and he's like, oh, my daughter, right? And we're all like, ah, ha, ha, incest is hilarious. That's so messed <laughs> Right? Up. So, I mean, <laughs> in no other setting would we have found that funny, but everybody in here laughed, so. And even the characters themselves, you know, making fun of his dead dad when he's barely cold yeah. on the ground. Um, it's you, it's the, the old saying, uh, you have to laugh to keep from crying, um, but I think that that's some of the best laughter there is. But again, that scene was that was like best friends. Like a stranger couldn't do that. Like if I just don't know someone, I couldn't like do the thank you and mocking the dad. But <laughs> but thank God. And you mentioned the kissing scene too. I just had to mention that was such a gorgeous shot too. Just yeah, right. cinematography view. Uh, I think we had one more question um, over here. I think go for it. So the question again is: uh, Is anything off limits like within a group, or you know, is that kind of like in the movie? Is that true to? an actual improv group? Yeah, I, in the groups that I've been in, nothing's off limits, and, and it can put people off. But I think uh, uh, a really good teacher I had once called it you know, paying a tax. So if you're going to do a scene about incest, or it better be smart, and it better be funny, right? Because the audience will make you pay for it. And um, I don't think anything is off limits, and you're going to fail and you're going to reach greatness right? if you do try. But there are some certain taboo things that are probably not really funny. Uh, I would say there's conventions of things not to do. But hey, you know, uh, if you can do it smart and in a funny way and that comes out organically, then right on. All right, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, thank you to my guests here. Do you guys, I'll give you a final chance. Do you want to either have anything else to add 
or you'd like to give a shout out to your Twitter or anything like that or any classes. I know you want to probably give it. You said my magic words. <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at A-K-A-C-H-E-L-A, A-K-A Chela. Um, that's pretty much all I'm famous for. I don't she wants you classes. to vote for her in the best. Yes, please vote for me in City Newspaper's best of Twitter. Or if you don't like it, then vote for me for best local eyesore. You've seen me in person, so you can actually make that assessment. No, it's okay. People Sad have already trombone. made that joke at me. I'm stealing somebody else's joke right now. That's a terrible thing to do. I'm, I'm like the uh, you know Keegan-Michael Key of the group right now. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't teach any classes, but if you think I'm funny and you want to continue thinking I'm funny, um, then don't follow me on Twitter for very long, but follow me on Twitter. If a joke is, if a joke is that mean, then you're allowed to steal it, I think. So. I think so, yes. Any jokes about me, I'm allowed to steal. <laughs> Um, if you're interested in trying improv, there again are classes locally. There's the class of the Brainery on September 29th. But if you just want to get up and perform, there's a really safe, fun space to do that at Johnny's Irish Pub. It's the first Wednesday of every month. It's called the Improv Plate. And the best way to learn about all the improv opportunities in town is to join the Rochester Improv Facebook group. And all the improvisers in town, they post their shows, their classes, opportunities to jump on a team. So I would check that out. Uh, thank you, Kiss. We have a Fringe show. It's a sketch show. Uh, the dates are... September 17th and September 23rd. I have cards in my pocket if anybody wants right. one. You could just make it rain cards. Just yeah. go in the aisle. <laughs> I also teach kindergarten at Renaissance Academy Charter School for the Arts. If you ever want to come in and read to a kindergarten class, we're always looking for volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to give a special thank you to Veronica Volk who Veronica Volk. helped record all this. It would not be pop, we would not be able to put it online if it weren't for her. So thank you. I was going to tell you all in city to bet, uh, vote for movies and a microphone for best podcast, and you should just to get it on the ballot. But the real best podcast is Finding Tammy Joe. So you guys should check that out. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed the movie. Uh, again, Movies in a Microphone is the podcast. This will be on the little.org. This recording at some point will either be this week or early next week. Uh, thank you for coming out. And remember, it's always a good time to take a little break. <laughs> <laughs>